Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. A few Sundays ago, Daddy was preaching and he made the comment that he wanted to do a message on one of the characters in the book of Revelation called the Great Whore. But God wouldn't let him. He kept directing him into a different direction, and it was ended up being a very good message for the kids. And ever since then, I keep getting things, and I thought the Lord probably wanted me to go ahead and do that message because it is a timely message. Um, and then last Sunday, I hadn't mentioned it, but I was still praying about it, and, and Pastor Daniel had mentioned he felt a, he said, "I feel I feel like to ask you to preach. Is there something you have?" And I said, "Yeah." I don't have it together, but it's a message I know, and I, I know it's a timely message for right now. So I do believe that the Lord wants it. And I do think it's probably a good thing for me to deliver it as opposed to them. Because there is a, a representation in this message. The biblical character of the great whore is a system, it's a government, but it's an ideology. She's selfish. She's pretty much what we see in most of our celebrated celebrities. But she's actually the antithesis or the opposite of the bride of Christ. In the same way that the antichrist is the opposite of Christ, the harlot is the opposite of the church. She's the opposite of what the church should be. Because the true bride of Christ is given a character throughout scripture. One of my, I think, probably favorite illustrations would be when Abraham needed a wife for his son and he sent his servant out to go and seek out a wife. To me, that's a representation of God seeking a bride for his son. And so he sends the Holy Spirit out to search. So he goes and he finds... Rebecca waiting at the well. The well represents stirring up those deep waters, getting that time in the Holy Spirit to get that revelation, to have something to offer to the thirsty souls that come. She wasn't only tending to her father's flock, but when he gets there, she offers to draw up water for him and for all of his camels. He had more than one camel, and what we may not realize is that an average camel drinks about 90 gallons of water at a time. So she's drawing up by hand from a well enough water for him and all of his camels. After tending to her father's flock, this shows a bride, the bride of Christ, the church, should be willing to sacrifice, to labor, to do what is necessary to not only tend to the wells and to the flocks, but to be willing to give to whoever needs, whoever is thirsty, even if it's laboring, even if you have to travel somewhere you don't feel like going, even if you have to do something you don't feel like doing, but to be that selfless bride that is modest and, and sacrificial and a servant's heart. That's what the church is supposed to be. But in our modern Christianity, much of what claims to be the church probably resembles the harlot more than the bride. So let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would deliver this word today the way that you see fit that you would continue to speak as you have already begun to, even through the worship. 
that you would give us understanding and revelation to understand the things that you are saying and the timeliness of this message and how it will manifest in our lives and in our children's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can open to Revelations chapter 17. I will mention other scriptures, but we're only going to be reading out of Revelation 17 and 18 today because those are the chapters that talk about the great whore. In Revelation 17, verse 9, it says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. Now I'm going to come back and explain this because some of the things in Revelation is very symbolic and imagery driven and it may not make sense, but I'm going to come back and explain it to you. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is, and the other is yet to come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is, even he is the eighth and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but will receive power as kings in one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords, and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, the Bible gives a description of eight world empires. These are empires that will rule the world from the beginning until the end when Christ comes and overthrows them and takes over everything and, and has his kingdom set up in New Jerusalem. Remember in the temptation of Christ, Satan told Jesus that he could give him all the kingdoms of the world because it is within his power to do so. So biblically, according to scripture, Satan had been given rule over the kingdoms of this world back in the Garden of Eden because of the fall. We were given original dominion. We forfeited that to Satan. So from that time forward, every nation that, that was in the earth was ruled by ungodly kings because he had a dominion. He was the king of this world. He had control over the governments. That's why you never need to be surprised when it seems like your politicians and governments and leaders are wicked because Satan has the authority to appoint who he wants in them. It wouldn't have been a temptation to Christ if it wasn't real. I mean, it wasn't a lie. He was telling him the truth. He could have done that. But Jesus knew that God was going to overthrow all of those earthly kingdoms anyway and that he would have authority and dominion above them. So he didn't take the temptation. But there are eight empires that rule the world through scripture. We're not going to go into that. Daddy's taught many lessons on what those empires are. The Bible lists them out. They have all played out. Right now we're in the seventh empire. So who has ruled the world for the last several hundred years? Nobody <coughs> wants to think of that. But America does have a part to play in biblical prophecy because it has headed NATO and those empires that have ruled the world. It's part of the system. And it has been wicked. Now, America at its founding with the Puritans were Christian. And they were running from persecution from these ungodly leaders in Europe. 
So at that time, Europe was leading, and these demonic characters at the top were persecuting the church. So the Puritans ran, and they established this place. Now, so spiritually, America has this um, parallel with Israel, because now God's people are getting this promised land, and they're trying to establish a place <coughs> in it where there is free worship. So there are aspects of America that parallel Israel, because it spiritually does parallel that. And there has been a lot of good that has come forth from it. But just like Israel in the Bible, it's constantly being infiltrated and overtaken by these Babylonian systems and these evil kings and these wicked politicians. And when people turn away from God, the enemy rushes in and God allows them to be overtaken. So while there's a spiritual foundation in America being set up in one direction, there's a physical foundation mixed in with the Masons and all these other things that have ties to the occult and to everything that you read in scripture that God judged <coughs> is being set up in the physical. So you have a nation divided. You have God fighting for a church within, but then you also have a judgment being placed on the wickedness that those in leadership are allowing to happen. So the church is the bride and the government is part of the whore. God is blessing and protecting the bride, but pronouncing judgments on the harlot. That's why it's important to be careful on where we take a side, because we don't want to endorse something that God himself is judging. And so what he says is, of the seventh, this great harlot sits as the principality over it. So the seventh world empire, which is where we are now and have been for several hundred years, the principality that rules over it is this great harlot. Throughout the ages, she's had many different names in many different cultures because she was originally worshipped before the fall of the Tower of Babel so that once, once that fell and the languages were dispersed, she got different names in different cultures. Things like Diana, Isis, Ash, in the Bible they call her Ashtoreth or Ashtorah. Different cultures gave her different names. It's who Jezebel worshipped, but she always persecuted the true saints of God. But she usually worked through manipulation, through control, which is witchcraft in the Bible. It was not usually an outright open thing. It was more covert. She pretended to be something great and amazing, but behind the scenes there was manipulation and always the blood of the saints was tied into it. One of the earliest incarnations of this would have been Samarimus, which is who the Statue of Liberty is of in New York. When you see that, that statue, that was her image throughout all of the ancient world, this, de this deity. New York is also the headquarters of the United Nations, which is part of this system, the Seventh World Empire. They know who they worship, even if the church has become ignorant of the history. The Bible says that she is judged and that the seventh world empire falls by fire in one hour. She's replaced by the eighth world empire. The leaders of the eighth come out of the seventh. So they exist together for a little while. The eighth destroys her. They, they come against her in one hour by fire. They destroy her by taking out her headquarters. And then this beast system rises up. This is the one that the Antichrist will lead. God allows this to happen as a judgment against 
the great whore and all of those things that it was allowing for all these years. He steps back and stops restraining the beast, basically, allows it to overtake, and then after a short time, Jesus himself comes in and overcomes and destroys the Antichrist and that system and sets up New Jerusalem. And then he brings back all of his saints and we rule and reign with him for a thousand years and and go out and minister and help to rebuild all the things that were messed up in this whole book of Revelations war, which is very devastating. This is a whole lot, and I can't bring you through everything at one time because there's not enough time. On our podcast page, on our website, we do have a section called Last Days, and if you go all the way to the bottom and start working your way up, there's years of teachings of all of this that will bring you through everything that will help you to put all the pieces together through the scriptures. I'm giving you an overview because I'm going to read you the destruction of the Seventh World Empire in a minute, and I want you to understand what's happening because that's where we are right now in history. We are transitioning. We are in the Seventh, and the Seventh is destroyed very suddenly by something that is able to burn up a whole city in one hour which we talked in Sunday school about how prophecy used to be so un-understandable, but now we can say, oh, well, yeah, a nuclear bomb can do that. We can see how that could happen now. The things are being revealed. And then the eighth is set up. The Bible is very clear that the, the major city that is the headquarters that is destroyed is the center of trade for the whole world. It's a harbor city. And that when it's destroyed, it destroys the economy of the entire world. But that gives them a reason to then come in and implement this new system with the mark of the beast in the center of it. Where you have to take that mark, you have to pledge that allegiance, you have to be part of that to buy, sell, or trade. And this is where the message that was coming forth even in the worship today, I think, really plays in. Because the question in the end is, who is your husband? Because if you put your faith in the system, if you look to the world for security, if you look to money and mammon and and the doctors and all of these things that you have to take the mark to have access to, then you're putting your faith in the beast to be your husband. But if you choose to follow Christ, you might just have to follow him out into the wilderness like the Israelites did when they left Egypt. God said, remember the days of your espousal, which is like your betrothal, when you followed me into the wilderness like a bride. That's how he described the Israelites leaving Egypt and following him into the wilderness. That they followed him like a bride. They left their father's house, that old house of bondage. They trusted him to be their protection, their provision, everything that they needed. They trusted him to be their husband. And when that happened, God gives them the law He gives them the Shema. The Shema is both a scripture promise, but it's also a symbol. For everyone who was Jewish, they had to recite the Shema every day to remind them. Remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, thy strength, and to treat others as you would have them treat you, and all those things. It's to love God before anything and everything else. That's the Shema. It was the mark 
of that covenant to spend time with him. The Bible says, the scripture says, God commanded them to write it down and to put it upon their hand and upon their forehead. That's why you see even today the Orthodox Jews sometimes wearing a little box on their forehead or on their arms. Sometimes they wrap it here. But originally it said, bind this up, that you will honor and love him above everything else and trust him to be your husband. Put it on your hand or on your forehead. So those who forsake putting their trust in Christ to be that and put their trust into the beast or the antichrist system or government to be that, what happens? They receive a mark in their hand or on their forehead. It's the anti-Shema. It's a wedding ring, basically. It's a sign that I am putting my faith in this system. I am committed. I am the bride of Satan, more or less. You become part of the great harlot system. Jesus was willing to die for his bride to protect and to provide. The beast kills his. So it doesn't pay to try to serve Satan. You can't trust him. He's not a good husband. He will not cover you in the coming judgment. When Jesus took the cup of wrath for us, we were talking about Passover this morning in church, in Sunday school. The last supper was Passover Seder. During a Passover Seder, they drink four cups of promise. And every time they drink it, they recite the promise. And it's promises that God gave you when they left Egypt, that he would protect, that he would provide, that he would do all the things that a husband does. But there's a fifth cup. And to this day, they don't drink it anymore, but it was part of the original Seder. Because that fifth cup was a promise from God that if you break the covenant, if you're not married, if you don't have a real husband that will cover you when the judgment comes, judgment will fall upon you. So they remove that from the satyrs, and instead they have a kid go and open the door and look to see if Elijah has returned, because the Bible, the scripture said that Elijah would return before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So they go look, and if they don't see Elijah coming, then there's, oh, okay, well, it's not time yet. Go back, and we don't have to worry about the fifth cup. The judgment's not here. But if he is coming, he's going to tell us what to do about this fifth cup. That's why they asked Jesus, and they said, well, if you're really the Messiah, then where is Elijah? Because he has to come first. And he told them, he has come. It's John the Baptist. You didn't listen to him. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He proclaimed it. Jesus drank that final cup of judgment for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why when he prayed and cried out, he said, let this cup pass from me. He knew what it was. He drank the judgment. That is coming at the end. There is a fiery judgment and for those that are in sin and in rebellion that will come at the end of this dispensation. But for those who are married to Jesus, your husband will cover you because that's the husband's job to cover the bride. He stands in between. He drank the cup of wrath for us. He took the wrath for us so that we can take his righteousness. We escape the judgment. But for those who are not married to Jesus, for those who are not in covenant, which is what we do when we take communion, when we come to salvation, we choose to be married to Christ. For those who are married to the Antichrist, they are not covered. 
And they will face the wrath of God. They will face the judgment. That's why the Bible says that all those who take the mark of the beast, they can't be saved. They're going to face the wrath of God because they have made a commitment to the wrong husband and he's not going to cover them. Only those who are committed to Jesus are going to be covered from the judgment that's coming. And I'm not talking about the, the, the tribulation that we normally think of when you think of, oh, the Antichrist persecuting the Christians and cutting off their heads. No, that's the wrath of Satan against the church. I'm talking about the very end, which is the wrath of God against the wicked, when the whole world will be just like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a difference. At the end of the time of tribulation, then the wrath, God protects his bride. He brings them to New Jerusalem. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. They come to, to be with him, and he, they are protected, and then the wrath of God is poured out on the rebellious and the wicked. This is what the book of Revelations describes in a summary. For those that are coming to Sunday school, we'll get you through it. We just started the book of Revelations. It might take several months, but I'm giving you the overview. <laughs> or several years. <laughs> But I'm giving you the overview. This is the general story. Because we have to understand our place in it and why these things are happening so that we can understand what's taking place in the world or we'll end up fighting for the beast or for the harlot and think we're fighting for God. Jesus warned that. He said they'll persecute you. They'll bring you before councils. They'll even kill you and think you're doing God's work because they don't understand the scriptures. They don't know what's actually in there. The Bible says that it's very easy to, in fact, it talks about a great deception in the last days, that many would be deceived and not understand what's happening, and that if it were not for God's revelatory power of the Holy Spirit bringing revelation to the elect, that even they would be deceived. It would be that complicated, that, that good. You know, we see a lot of error and deception in the world right now. Sin is stupid, and sin will make you stupid, and we see a lot of stupid. And, and we think, oh, well, this must be the great deception because there's a lot of deceived people. Amen. It's not the great deception because the Bible says the great deception will be so good that even God's people would be tricked by it if not for his divine intervention. There's going to be deceptions coming that if you don't have that time with the Holy Spirit to really reveal it to you, you would be taken by it, even as a saint going to be serious. So we want to understand what's actually taking place. When the great harlot's system, this seventh world empire is destroyed, the collapse of it is going to collapse the economy. It's going to collapse the social structures, the political, the military, every influence that it holds Remember it said that she sat a queen over seven mountains. There are seven continents. She ruled, this, this deity rules the whole world. Like there is influence that is connecting to everything through her. I say not really deity, it's a principality. The Bible talked about principalities over regions. Um, that's why Daniel had to fast because there was a principality over Persia that was preventing the angel of the Lord from getting to him. There are spiritual rulers, the Bible says in Ephesians, we war not against flesh and blood. We're not warring against these politicians that you see or these people or these groups. It says we war against powers and principalities and rulers in dark places. You're actually dealing with spirits. 
which are the mountains mentioned, which is why Jesus said that if you have the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can cast a mountain into the sea. Because you can cast powers and principalities out of territories just like you can cast them out of a person. You have the authority. We're not here to fight physical fights. We're here to fight spiritual fights and watch them affect the, the physical world around us. That's why when we started praying and fasting and decreeing and declaring against the principality of death, we saw Roe versus Wade overturned. There is authority given to the people of God. But you actually have more a power and authority in your prayer and your fasting and your proclamation than in your actions. Now, when God tells you to take an action, there is an authority in that also because it's backed up by the power and authority of heaven. But if you take an action in your own logic, it's not going to amount to anything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And I always like the way it's worded because it doesn't say you can't do anything. It says you can do nothing. In other words, you can do a whole lot, but it will amount to nothing. So if God's not in it, it doesn't matter how much you fight. It doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter how much you politic. It's not going to amount to anything. Now, if he tells you to do something, that's different. But it has to start in prayer and in fasting and in seeking the Lord and in getting his instructions. And then you will see transformation. And we've seen it. We've seen it happen. Pastor Daniel mentioned it this morning. We had started praying and warring few years ago against the spirit of death because uh, the legalization of abortion had its roots here in Simsport. And we felt like, well, that's our territory. We have authority. We take dominion. We're going to lay the axe to the root. We're going to war against it. And within just a few years of praying and fasting and warring, we have seen what just this year alone in a few months, we've seen 60,000 babies saved in heaven. We're going to get some credit for participating in that actual fight, that spiritual warfare. And we could have campaigned for a hundred years and not gotten anything changed. God changed that legislation in the most impossible political climate to have it changed. And he did it at the time when they were celebrating their pride. He humbled them. God does mighty impossible things if you believe. The bride abides and trusts in her husband. The harlot takes matters into her own hand and does her own thing. She doesn't have a married spirit. In Revelation 17 and, and 18, it talks about the great harlot, but specifically it talks about the time of her demise. And I want, I feel the Lord wants to bring this out right now because I think we're seeing a lot of the steps of it in the things that are happening and in the things that are coming. In verse 17, starting in verse 1, and I know this is more reading probably than most sermons, but I'm probably going to go through both chapters because it's just a description of what happens. Um, and I want you to kind of get the visual, and we'll talk a little bit about it as we do. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore, that sitteth on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been drunken with the wine of her fornication. So in the same way that we have, we see uh, a wine representing a covenant with Christ, there's also an, a wicked wine that is in covenant with this harlot. 
So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colors, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication." And upon her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. For those that are interested in the podcast, we have a a message, a teaching uh, called the tree of sin, the root of the problem. And it goes through the whole history um, of this this character, because in the Bible they called her Ashtoreth or Ashtorah, and God was always fighting against the influence of this thing, trying to keep it out of uh, Israel. One of the things she influenced and brought into Israel was the sacrifice of babies and infants. One of the things she brings into a nation, into America, was abortion. These are real spirits, real entities, with real powers. That's why whenever abortion was overturned, who was the main one's crying and fighting against it, the witches. They know what they're doing, even if the church doesn't want to see it. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So he, he saw her and this is, it was so amazing, he couldn't believe. But yet she's drunken. Part of the thing that is filling this cup of judgment against her is that she's guilty of the blood of the saints. So throughout history, this deity has always hunted Christians. Jezebel uh, worshipped. In fact, she was, she was raised up in the temple of Asherah as a priestess of Asherah. We see it throughout the, the New Testament. The disciples were almost killed by the followers of Diana. These were all different names for the same entity. It always worked against the true saints of God. Now, she has no problem with celebrity Christianity and fake Christians because she's, she doesn't have anything to worry about. In fact, they're actually turning people towards worshiping that spirit more than anything. But the true saints of God, like Elijah, Jezebel came hard against Elijah. The true saints of God, they fought against the disciples in the New Testament. And the fact of the matter is, is that we know those that have run the world for the last several hundred years have a lot of blood on their hands. Now, we may not agree with everything they did, but they did it. And there's the blood of saints from all over the world. Even Isis, we know Isis right now, named after this same deity. Isis was the Egyptian version of this same deity, has been cutting the heads off of Christians for years now. And you know who funded it, who created it? The CIA. One of the previous administrations that is now in office now created that. Don't you think there's a judgment coming for that? We have to understand what's actually happening in the spirit so that we're not caught up in a battle that we don't understand. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? And I tell thee the mystery of the woman. So now the angel's saying, this is what you saw. Don't be confused. I'm going to explain to you what you're seeing. And the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest and is not, 
and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and yet is. So he's saying the beast that she's riding on is the Antichrist. That's the government, the spirit that's coming to rule that, that system. Everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, in other words, if you are not a true blood-bought, born-again, Holy Spirit-filled Christian, you will wander after this beast. You will be deceived by it. It carries her for a while, but then it eventually kills her and then takes over things. So those that the seventh empire once had allied with and trusted will at one point turn against it. Now, all of this happened during the fall of um, Nineveh. If you go back in the Old Testament and read through the prophecies of the fall of Nineveh, you're going to see a lot of the same language because God has dealt with these spirits before and the patterns follow throughout history. But it will happen again because we allow these spirits to take up dominion. Now the thing is this, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as Christians, God gave us dominion back. We have spiritual authority against Satan. But where the church forfeits, where there is a void, the enemy will step in and possess. If you're not possessing the territories that God has given you, the enemy will step in and overtake them. Just like Jezebel. Jezebel had no authority of her own. She wasn't a true queen over Israel. Ahab forfeited his authority and allowed her to do what she did. The church is being an Ahab. The, earth, the church steps back and forfeits its authority, and so these things begin to take power. That's why Paul warned that none of this would happen. The end would not come until first there was a falling away. The church has to fall away in, in purpose and practice and purity and understanding and in spiritual authority before these things can rise up and begin to take their place, which is happening now because there is a huge falling away from the true understanding of the scriptures. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads and the, are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, which is the whole world. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. The one that's to come was the Antichrist. He, he'll only have a short reign. The actual Antichrist only reigns for three and a half years before Jesus steps in and deals with him. Now that doesn't mean the Eighth Empire only exists for three and a half years because it actually says the Eighth Empire will be set up and they'll have ten kings placed over it. And then at some point there's some coups that happen and three fall away and eventually the Antichrist comes in and kind of overpowers all of them, takes over it, and then that's when you have your three years of tribulation and, and Christians are hunted and everything goes crazy. And then Jesus steps in and deals with him in the end. So there can be a time period of, of the Eighth Empire being set up and instituted before the Antichrist is actually leading it. But once he sets himself up, there's only three and a half years. So his reign is very short. Remember, he is an anti-Christ. He is the opposite of Christ. How long was Jesus' earthly ministry? Three and a half years. So it's going to be everything that Christ was but the opposite. Right? And the bride is everything that the church is supposed to be, but the whore is the opposite. And the beast that was 
and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. So it's just letting you know that the, the beast system will come out of what already exists now. So the things that we see now are going to give birth, I guess you could say, to the beast, the Antichrist system that is to come. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So not only is the seventh empire destroyed in one hour, but the, the leaders of the eighth are set up in one hour. This is going to be a very quick transition. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb. They're going to war against the saints. We read that all through scriptures that once this thing is set up, it's not going to be good for the Christians. That's what tribulation is. In fact, the word tribulation comes from the tool called a tribulin. It's what's used to beat the chaff off of the wheat. The wheat in scripture always represented God's people. You can't make bread, which is the body of Christ, while the chaff is still on it. So in order to make the church fit to become the body of Christ, then tribulation comes to remove the chaff. So in the time of tribulation, Christians are there and the hardships are to get you to let go of all of these things that are preventing you from being the true body of Christ. He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. There is not much of that in the church right now because they're holding on to so much of this harlot system. They want to be the celebrity. They want to be worshipped. That's Antichrist. The Bible says the Antichrist will set himself up in the house of God wanting to be worshipped as God. So anytime somebody in a church setting wants attention, they're actually operating through an Antichrist spirit. And they aren't ready for the return of Jesus. They'll miss it. So in his mercy, he allows some tribulation to come to cause a separation. The tribulation or the tribulation is meant to bring separation between the wheat and the chaff. There's a purpose in it. There is a purpose in it. All right. They make war with the lamb, but the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. That's us in Jesus' name. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So this harlot system, that this seventh world empire, she was upon many waters. So tongues, tribes, and nations, again, she ruled the whole world in her time. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall, be, these shall hate the whore. So she's riding this beast. She has some control over it, or so she thinks. Just like the powers that have ruled the world for a while think they have control over all of these things that they've created all over the world, these, these things like ISIS and all these connections with China and all these other things. They think they have control over it, but they don't realize that the beast actually hates her. She thinks she's controlling this thing, but it's just waiting for the right time to destroy her. It hates the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will 
and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. God puts it in these nations' hearts to do this because he's tired of the Christians being killed, the real ones. He's tired of the people being deceived and manipulated and so many going to hell thinking that they're okay. He is protecting and preparing the church for his return because they're not ready for him, because they're so ingrained into this system. So he allows these things to happen. He allows the beast to take out the harlot, and then he comes and takes out the beast. But in the process, he's separating you from it, just like he used the plagues in Egypt to make them ready to leave Egypt because he wanted to separate them from it. But they had it pretty good in Egypt, relatively speaking. And they wouldn't have left many of them had they not gone through some of these hardships leading up to it. Even their bondage in Egypt was a relatively short-lived thing. They were in Egypt for a long time and doing really well even before they became slaves in Egypt. God is allowing certain things to happen to break away our dependency and our trust and our desire to be part of the system. And things will get harder and harder for the Christians because he's wanting people to choose a side. There's no more fence walking whenever the beast starts to rise. You gotta pick a side. When persecution sets in, you make your decision and you live by it. You don't get to pretend anymore. And then the church gets purified because all the fakes leave and then they can do the real works of God, the great exploits that we see about in the, You know, we all pray, oh God, give us a revelation like the book of Acts. We wanna see the book of Acts. It's like, do you know what was happening in the book of Acts? <laughs> They were lighting Christians for torches in the street. That's where the word Roman candle comes from, your fireworks. A Roman candle was a Christian burning in the street to be a candle to light the streets. That's why they moved in such power and persistence, because they were serious. Because the fakes wouldn't get in it. Right now, there's a lot of fakes in the church because they want money, because they want attention. When the only attention you get for serving God is negative, the fakes are going to quit. And when there's no big checks for preaching the gospel, those that are in it for the money are going to quit. And those that are serious are going to come together and rend heaven, and you're going to see the great exploits that you see about in the book of Acts and the book of Revelations, because it'll be the same again. And that's the purpose in tribulation. It's to prepare the bride for the return of Christ, and it's a mercy because most people won't do it on their own. So God gives them a little push. And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So this is an overview of the great harlot. But it says that it's run by a city. So Mystery Babylon is the system. The system is global. Right? We know, you know that it has connections all over the world. But the global system is run from a headquarters in a city. This is the city of Babylon, this mystery Babylon. Chapter 18 is a detailed description of the destruction of this city, which causes the collapse of the system, which causes the Antichrist empire to be implemented. So we're going to read that next, and then we'll be done. So I'm not going to keep you too much longer.
in 18 verse 1, it says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So through their coalitions with her, these other nations have become very rich, very wealthy. But they've also participated in a lot of the unethical, unmoral things that they had to do to be part of this system. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So there are God's people in the midst of her. This is what I'm telling you, that there's been kind of a duality in the nations. There has been a bride, there has been a church, and there has been blessings from God. But there's been a battle being waged over control of the territory, so to speak. Since crisis time, this battle has always taken place. And so at this point, her sins have become so great that God says, stop preaching to her, come out of her, make a separation. You, you can't save her. There's a judgment coming right now. Separate. Make yourself known that you do not agree with the things that she teaches and agrees with because judgment is coming on her and I don't want it to come on you. So we make our separation. That's why we make our voice known that we do not agree with things like abortion and same-sex marriage and, and selfishness and pride and arrogance and all the things that the world promotes because it's worshiping this entity. So when you make your proclamation and your decree that you don't agree, you are making a separation saying, God, I don't want to partake of the judgment for these things. That's not me. So even if your whole nation votes for things or stands in agreement with things, you individually make your declaration of disagreement because there's a protection for that. The Bible says that God saved Noah, the eighth man, a preacher of righteousness. He didn't have to change the whole world to stop the flood. He had to just preach his agreement with God and God protected him from the flood. So you might not be able to change everyone around you, though we try. Noah tried 120 years, and God appreciates the effort. That's what we're supposed to do. But in the end, he didn't save anyone but his own family, but still that saved the world. So if nobody listens, it doesn't matter. Keep preaching righteousness and make your stand in agreement with the scriptures. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, so that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquity. Reward her even as she rewarded you. Double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. Basically, God's saying that as much sin and wickedness as she has put out, as much hurt as she has caused, I'm going to give back double to her. I heard a, a minister speaking, and normally this minister is so on point, I, I really uh, like them. 
uh, and she said, you know, I heard from the Lord, double, double, he's saying double, and she, she's like, so let's just, you know, we're going to pray in agreement that God's going to give us double for our trouble, and I'm like, I don't think that's the double he's talking about right now. <laughs> I think you heard right. I don't think you understand right. He said double, double, double to her for her works. That's the double that he's talking about. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. So in the same manner that she lived so much above the rest of the world and so many people suffered, and, and she had all this wealth and decadence and riches and she could have helped and did so much good, planted so many churches, helped people dig wells and plant fields, but instead she used it for wickedness in the same manner give her back more torment. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen. And you can see that image of Semiramis because that was the original image which we now see as a Statue of Liberty was modeled after that same image. I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. I am too big to fail. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. So who allows this judgment? Then you can't stop it. When the devil does something, you know, we used to always plan events and the devil would always try to make it rain on, our, on whatever it was God had us to do, you know, homeless outreach or youth thing or whatever. It was always a big storm that day. And we would pray and bind and rebuke and it wouldn't rain. We had another church join us for one of them and it was going to rain. They're like, aren't you going to cancel? We were like, no, our God doesn't cancel for storms. Storms cancel for our God. Woo. They always stopped. Come on. <laughs> but there came a, a New Year's n night when it was going to rain and everything. And, and they're like, oh, well, that's okay. We'll just pray against it. And I was like, no, not me. What? God's sending this one. I ain't praying against it because it ain't going to work and I'm going to look like a fool. God wants us to be, because we would go outside and do the fight. I said, God wants us to be inside tonight so that we can get a word from him and pray for the, and when we're done, the rain will stop and we can go outside. And that's exactly what happened. The rain came. But as soon as we finished with what he wanted to say and what he wanted to do, it stopped, so we were able to go outside. My point is, is that with the devil sending the storm, you have all authority to bind, rebuke, and stop the storm. If God is sending the storm, you better get out the way. Because you can't rebuke God. You're not going to rebuke God. So you have to, and, and, and part of this word today is so that we can understand when things come. So we know how to pray and where to get into position. Because there are things that will happen that in your emotions, you might think, well, this has to be the enemy. I, I... But there are things that God does too. There are things that he allows and he has a reason. So understand what's really happening. Because the enemy is so deceptive and deceiving. He was the most cunning creation. He's smarter than us. That's why you have to go and get revelation from God so that you can know what is really happening or you will be deceived. We all will. Strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her 
when they shall see the smoke of her burning. So again, remember the image. He's destroying a global system, but it's happening by the destruction of one city, which is the headquarters of it. It says the kings of the world are looking from afar off at the smoke of this city burning. And they're crying because they were made rich by it. So it has destroyed the economy. Standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. I find this interesting because the destruction of this city that causes the collapse of this empire, that these leaders of the world became rich and are looking at the smoke of this city burning, it says they're doing it from a distance because they're scared of the torment that is on this city. In other words, they wouldn't dare be near whatever has happened. Now, we can't say with 100% surety because until it happens, you never know for sure with prophecy. But I think it's very likely that this city is nuked because they're too scared to be near it. So they stand afar off and they watch the smoke of it rising and they are scared of the thing that is tormenting the city, like radiation. They, they don't want to go near this fire that destroys. I mean, what else can destroy a whole city by fire in one hour? And we're going to read in a little bit when they start describing this city that this was one of the greatest cities in the whole world. That it says that there's no other city like it. It's destroyed by fire in one hour and they're too scared to go by it. And it says nobody will ever go into this city again because they're afraid of the thing that continues to torment it. I think it's very likely that this city is nuked. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no more shall man buy their merchandise anymore in her. This city was a trade center for the world, or a world trade center, if you want to say it that way. I'm not telling you where it is, but I might be telling you where it is. <laughs> the merchants of gold and of silver and of precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and of purple and of silk and of scarlet and of thine wood and of all manner of vessel of ivory and all manner vessel of most precious wood and of brass and of iron and of marble and of cinnamon. These were all things that were traded in their trade center and their mark, trade market in this area. They're not going to be traded there anymore. And of odors and of ointments and of frankincense and of wine and of oil and of fine flour and of wheat and of beast and of sheep and of horse and of chariots and of slaves and of the souls of men. For the fruit that thy soul lusteth after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city, which was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaker and all the companies of ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. So in one hour, all of these economic things are destroyed. 
but also many ships because it's a harbor city. I'm not trying to paint a picture here, but for those who say that America's not in Revelations, well, you know, they didn't name it anything back then, but God gives imagery. And there are participants and world players that are involved in these things that are taking place. And there are warnings given for a reason so that we know where to stand when they happen. And we do know that for sure the headquarters of the United Nations is in New York. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? So, so this isn't like Baton Rouge. So, okay, well, you might could destroy Baton Rouge in a day by fire. No, this city is the merchants of the world stand afar off and say, what city can be compared to this city? How can it be destroyed by fire? And they're too scared of the thing that continues to torment it to ever go there again. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein was made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, and in one hour is she made desolate. But wait a minute. This part right here is the kicker. All of this was description of what happens. Now this is a commandment from God. Remember Jesus gave this revelation. This is a commandment from Jesus on how the saints are supposed to react to this situation when it happens. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And then it just continues for a few verses to explain that the voice of the, the harpers and the musicians and the merchants and all these good things that made it so rich and so decadent will be found there no more forever. The smoke the, the smoke of her burning will ascend, but nobody's going back to this place. I think this is so sad because so many are deceived and taken in by this system and they think that their riches uh, are proof that it's something that is approved of by heaven. But it wasn't because how did they get it? How many souls did it cost? How much bloodshed? How many went to hell thinking they were in right standing because they were in agreement with something that was contrary to the teachings of Jesus who came to teach us selflessness and humility and all of the fruits of the Spirit. And the worst thing is that maybe it didn't affect us, but the body, the Bible says that when the body hurts, we should all hurt with it. If your toe hurts, your body knows that it hurts. If you cut your arm, your other hand should cover it and try to stop the bleeding. That's how the body of Christ should work. So when Christians are being beheaded overseas by ISIS that was created by entities in our own government, that should affect us more than it does. And the reason that I feel that God wanted me to bring this message, because I think we're very close to this transition, first of all, there is a shift that is coming. We're, we're shifting even right now from the seventh to the eighth world empire. But there's something that's happening that's very important. Many of you will remember a year or so ago or whenever it was when we abandoned Afghanistan. I say we, not us. We're not in agreement with that, but the current administration did it. 
so our leaders, and judgments do fall on nations because of the sins of its leaders. Something happened. Now, something happened in the spirit and something happened in the physical. And I'm going to explain both of you because it ties into, I think, a trigger for this event. The day that it happened, on the way to church, before I knew that it happened, I felt in my spirit just this great weeping and, and crying. And when I got here, I was like, man, something's wrong. And then we found out that they had abandoned Afghanistan. And as soon as they did, uh, the Muslims came in and wiped out the entire Christian population of an entire nation. That was orchestrated by this administration. The blood of the saints is on her hands. Not just a few here or there, an entire nation. When that happened, there was a shift in the spirit. That cup of that wrath, I think, filled up. In the physical, something happened also. You see, years ago, the American dollar used to be backed by gold. It was worth something. In fact, the dollar was just a paper receipt for the fact that you had the gold. The treasury note. So, around World War I, World War II era, they took us off the gold standard. 71. 71, they... Oh, that's also when they started with Roe versus Wade. That's, that's when it passed in 71. Anyway, see the spirit ties in in every direction. In 71, they say it took us off the gold standard. So then we became what is now known as the petrodollar. There's nothing physical backing it up. They call it the petrodollar so that you think it's backed up by oil, but it's actually not. It's actually backed up by the blood of our soldiers. Because what they do is we send the money to build the infrastructure in all of these little middle backward wood places in the Middle East, build the infrastructure to produce the oil with the promise that we will use our soldiers to protect the oil and to protect them. So really it's not the oil, but it's the blood of our soldiers because we're saying as long as you use our dollar to trade your oil, we will protect you with our military. That's what a petrodollar is. It's backed with blood. When they abandoned Afghanistan, they abandoned a nation who was still trading in petrodollars. They broke the covenant. They broke the agreement. For the first time, they're, they're watching, hey, the only reason we're still trading in their dollar is because they promise to protect us and to give us their military, and they just reneged on the deal. We don't have any confidence in this system anymore. We need something different. So then the nations that were doing this came together, 142-ish nations that came into an agreement, they call it Operation Sandman, that at a specific time, on a specific day, they are all planning to drop the petrodollar at the same time. And that would crush the economy. Now, here's the problem. There have been nations that have tried to get out of this system before, and so what happened is America just went and bombed them or assassinated their leaders. So to prevent that from happening, it is very likely that when this is initiated, it could very likely be coupled with a very serious attack, something like what we read 
in Revelation 18 to prevent the retaliation. When this happens, the seventh world empire has to be destroyed entirely in one blow for the eighth to happen because they, there can't be a long drawn out conflict. They, they're not going to allow this to mess up. It's going to happen swift and God's going to allow it to happen and he's going to allow it to be put in their heart to do this because he can't let the system continue as it is. It's sending too many to hell. Now, the transition is going to be ugly. It's going to be hard on Christians, but it's not going to last long. Jesus is coming back to fix all this. And he's going to bring the real kingdom. And he's going to be the real king. We don't have to worship politicians or, or nations. God, Jesus is coming back to be king over New Jerusalem. And that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're putting our faith in. That's why it says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here is the patience of the saints that it doesn't matter what you endure in the short term because this isn't what we're living for. This is all temporary. It's going to burn. Whether it's by a nuke or it's by the wrath of God in the end, there's still a fire coming. Choose to be filled with the fire of God and let the fire burning in you be hotter than the fire burning around you. And you can be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, we mentioned this in Sunday school, and I'm about to come to a close. We mentioned this in Sunday school, how God gave Daniel a lot of the prophecies of what would happen in the end days because he took him through experiences that would help him to be able to relay the message. We talked a little bit about how, you know, they had to worship this image of Nebuchadnezzar or be killed, and the Antichrist will do the same thing. There's also a parallel in being thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember, they wouldn't worship. They're thrown into the fiery furnace. It says that not even the smell of smoke was in their clothes and that God was with them in the fire and they came out unharmed. Rather, it's nuclear fire from war or the wrath of God. If you are walking with Jesus, you can be in the fires and not be hurt. Now, it's an interesting thing. You know, when you're dealing with nuclear war, the real danger is the radiation. And I saw an example of it given as compared to smoke. You don't have to be in the fire to be saturated by the smell of smoke. It'll get in your hair, it'll get in your clothes, it'll get in your lungs. And they were saying, well, it's just like that with radiation, only you can't smell it. You don't have to be in the blast, you just have to be near enough to it. And the closer you are to it, the more the smoke saturates and penetrates, and that's the real danger. But I think the beauty in that, I think God even allowed that verse in the scripture for those who will have to face those circumstances to remember they were in the flames and not even the smell of smoke was found on them. So not even the radiation. If God so wills it, you can... In fact, it says that when the Lord returns, the saints will be heard singing in the fires. They're not just going to be able to walk through the fires and not be burned. They're going to be singing. Yes. Amen. So there is a protection to be found in being in right standing with God and being the bride of Christ. God will judge the harlot system. Make a declaration to separate yourself from it. Be not among her, lest you be partakers of her plagues and her judgments. Come, be joined to Christ. When we take communion, it's a betrothal. Whenever the Jewish people, whenever they would become betrothed, they would come into the girl's father's house. They would drink together of a cup of covenant. And that would be her decreeing that she agrees with the betrothal 
and that she would be betrothed to this husband. When the disciples sat at the Last Supper with Jesus, they are in a house. They are drinking from the same cup, and they are coming into marriage covenant. They represent the church. We do the same thing when we take communion. He becomes our husband, and then that means that he is the one who covers us. He takes the judgment for us. He also is committed to provide and to protect, and we are committed to follow and to serve wherever he leads us. And we have to trust him and no other lover and no other system. Because in the end, the choice is going to be between which husband you're going to trust. Are you going to give up your soul for security, for money, for medicine, for food, for a job? Or are you going to trust Jesus no matter what it costs? And to know that he is building a place for us in his father's house. So it doesn't matter what we lose now. He's the carpenter. That's what he does. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.